0: Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk will be sharing a message entitled, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6 through 7. Now, if you're looking for a church home, let me invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Our service starts at 1030 on Sunday mornings. I want to take this opportunity to invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service that will be held on December the 24th at 430 in the afternoon. If you're in Northwest Arkansas, we would love to have you for that special service that we now, if you're just needing information about our church, you can visit us at CalvaryFayetteville.com or email us at info at We'll get back to you as quickly as we can. Well, let's listen together to Pastor Kirk as he shares, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.
1: Well, it is amazing to me that the birth of Jesus the Messiah was so ordinary. So ordinary that almost everyone missed it. The day after the birth of Jesus, business as usual. In the village of Bethlehem, in the city of Jerusalem, and all around the world. And it's still, for the most part, business as usual today. Even though they had waited for Him for so long and looked for Him in every generation since day's primeval. They all missed His coming, His first advent, well, except for a few. Now, maybe we should cut the people of Jesus' day a little bit of slack about that. You and I look back and say, how did you miss it? It's so obvious, but you see, they didn't have the complete picture any more than you and I have the complete picture of the next advent of Jesus. Now, we know that every eye shall see him when he comes back this next time. We know that he will not be viewed as just another babe born. He will be coming in great glory He'll be coming in all of His majesty, and there'll be no mistake about it. But the details of His next Advent, even today, we, we still, even though we have all the Bible, we argue about how that's going to happen and when that's going to happen. So maybe it's understandable that the people of Jesus' day and the people of the Old Testament didn't fully understand. I, I kind of think of it like this. Just suppose... Just suppose that you were given one of those large jigsaw puzzles, a thousand or maybe 2,000 pieces, and you were given the task to put that puzzle together. No problem, right? Except for one thing. Even though you've done that many times before, this time the box top is blank, you don't know what the picture is. You don't know what the final, uh, the final project is going to look like. You just have all the pieces in front of you, and they all have their place, and they all fit together. You just don't know for sure what to anticipate. So you start trial and error putting pieces together and you find a few pieces that fit and from that you decide well maybe it's going to look like this but then you find a few more pieces put them together and it changes the complexion of the picture altogether as you manage to fit a few pieces you try to imagine the finished product but it's just very difficult and that's what the Old Testament Scriptures were like for the people living in that time and also the people of Jesus day it's been said that hindsight is 2020 right you look backwards it's all very clear and that's often true about spiritual things as well we look back at the first advent of Christ we see a clear picture but it was not that way for the people leading up to the birth of Christ and the completion later of the New Testament and the Bible canon. Let's read these words from Isaiah 9. It's a very popular, a very well-known prophecy of the Old Testament. Isaiah wrote a great deal about what was to come, not only the first advent, but the second advent as well. And he says this in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now go down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Thanks be to God indeed for it. You see, these verses that I just read are among hundreds in the Old Testament that are prophecies regarding the Messiah, the Promised One, the Christ, the Anointed One of God. This one is especially looked at and loved by those living in Old Testament days. It speaks of light in the midst of gloom. It speaks of victory with impending uh, invasion of a wicked enemy. It speaks of glory in the person of the great king. And the kind of Messiah that God's people longed for is described here. Who wouldn't? long for a messiah who would be called wonderful counselor someone who can take care of all the decisions of life who would not look forward to the mighty god not just god but the mighty god helping to meet all the demands of life and who would not Want The everlasting Father, expanding the dimensions of life in eternity both directions. He always was. He always will be. And who would not long for the Prince of Peace? Someone who would calm all of the the disturbances of life. I mean, after all, come to think of it, isn't that the kind of Messiah we want today? And on call, Messiah. Someone to help us with all the decisions, with all the demands, with all the disturbances of life. You've got some of those going on in your life, don't you? Maybe you're all got it all put together just right. Somehow I seem to I seem to sometimes be overwhelmed with the decisions and the disturbances. And all of the demands that life has offered. Like the people of old, we pick and we choose which images of Christ we prefer. The Old Testament saints, the Old Testament Jewish people, the people of Jesus' day, they looked at the Scriptures And they saw promises and prophecies like this. But there is so much more to the promised Messiah. He came in a very unexpected way. He came in a very unexpected time. This was a Christmas that no one expected. Let's back up to the Old Testament And let me share with you what I mean. I've got four thoughts for you. I'll try to move through them quickly, but you know me. You need to pray for me about that. (laughs) Numero uno. Number one, the first prophecy. The first prophecy. The first time we encounter anything in Scripture that tells us to look forward and anticipate a Messiah. And it's all the way back in the Garden of Eden in a verse that we mentioned last week in the context of a study of spiritual warfare. You know that Adam and Eve are tempted in the Garden. The Lord had given them one prohibition, You can eat of all of the trees of the garden. All of this orchard is yours, except this one tree. Stay away from it. Only one prohibition. Only one commandment that they had to obey. And they broke it. The woman was deceived, and the man, by his will, followed her in her fall. And you know that the Lord comes, and he speaks to them point blank. And he speaks, first of all, to the serpent, a creature that he created, that now was inhabited by Lucifer, a fallen angel of heaven. He speaks a curse to the serpent. He speaks to the woman and he speaks to the man. The message to the serpent went like this. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, Keep in mind, and we won't sidetrack on this right now, but but evidently the serpent was not created as we know him today. He was some kind of animal that walked upright, that could stand probably face to face with man and with woman and to tempt them. And part of the curse for him was from that day forward, he would no longer do that, but the serpent would crawl on his belly and give all of us the willies. Somebody say amen to that. That's the truth, is it not? That's the curse to the, uh, to the serpent. And then notice what he said in verse 15. Here's the prophecy. Here's the very first prophecy of a Messiah. I will put enmity, that means hatred, animosity, and antagonism. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Notice the words, her offspring. Adam and Eve discover now that they are going to have children. Okay, her offspring. But one of her offspring is going to have his heel bruised by you, the serpent. You're going to create and and cause harm to him. We know that it ultimately was death, but that's no more than a bruise on the heel of a Messiah who was resurrected from the dead, right? But he is going to (laughs) bruise your head. He is going to crush your skull, serpent, he will destroy you. So we have this promise that Adam and Eve, as they are expelled from the garden never to return, that somewhere, sometime their offspring is going to destroy the works of the devil. That's the promise given to us in this very first prophecy. And it is so interesting that the one who walked and talked with Jesus, or with uh, Adam and Eve in the garden was none other than Jesus in the flesh. And he is now giving them a promise of the fact that he was going to be the Messiah, though they didn't get all the details. So we have the Messiah giving the first promise of the Messiah to the first man and woman that was created. It was a promise that, though the man and woman would be expelled from the garden, as a result of their sin, their sin was going to be taken care of by the promised one. Okay, That's the first prophecy. Notice number two, the first person. The first person. And when I say that, I have reference to the first person who was thought to be that Messiah. The first person who was thought to be that promised one who would destroy the devil. Listen to these words from Pastor Jonathan Parnell. Finally, the Son was born. Generation after generation had anticipated his birth. And the world desperately needed him. Desperately. Each day was a gloomy cloud of night. The darkness of death's shadow filled the earth. Strife and quarrels multiplied without hindrance. The hearts of all mankind only conceived evil. In fact, Scripture says every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It actually was so bad, now listen to this, that the detoxification of wickedness meant the complete decreation of the world. God would start all over. If not for this one son, they called him Noah. They called him Noah. And in an eerie way, it preconfigures for us those words, and they called his name Jesus. Okay, so what's up? What are you saying, preacher? I've never heard that before. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that promise, that prophecy we read a moment ago, that first prophecy, all eyes are on the coming offspring of this woman, of Eve. This is the one who will crush the serpent and reverse the curse of sin. Then Adam and Eve had two sons, and the hope intensifies which one will it be and then Cain slew, murdered Abel and then Cain went off and he set off to build a civilization of his own offspring the Bible records that in Genesis chapter 4 and then there was Seth who replaced Abel is it going to be Seth is this the promised one But if we pay careful attention to the details in Genesis, we see a pattern that begins to develop in Adam's offspring. Sons are born. They live long lives. And then they give birth. They father more sons. And then they die. Sons are born. They live long lives. They father other sons, and then they die. That rhythm continues over and over and over again in the book of Genesis. And the only interruption was the life of a man by the name of Enoch who walked with God, and he did not die. God just called him on to heaven. But for all the rest, for ten generations from Adam, the focus now comes in like a laser beam on a man by the name of Noah, the son of Lamech. And Lamech said of him, now listen to these words, I think they're on the screen. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Let there be no mistake about it it was anticipated that Noah was going to be the one that was going to crush the head of the serpent. Don't miss it here. They thought he was the Savior promised. Among all the wickedness, Noah grew to find favor with the Lord. We read about that in Genesis chapter 6. He was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. And like Enoch... Genesis tells us he walked with God. Also like Enoch, he was spared from death when everyone else around him was not. The flood destroyed the entire earth except Noah and those in the ark. The future of all mankind rested on this man, Noah, this blameless son. Finally, he had arrived. Finally, the son had come. And until he fell, by the way, very similarly to Father Adam, in a garden and in a vineyard, this was the promised one. He was given the same commission as the first Adam. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's also similar to Adam And that the chosen nation after him, Noah, crumbled in the face of temptation, hopes were dashed, and the biblical storyline was just getting started. Again, listen to these words. Years would pass, more sons would be born, and the anticipation would rise and fall from Abraham to his two sons, then one. From Isaac and his two sons, and then one. From Jacob and his twelve sons, and then one who is called Judah. And throughout the most unlikely circumstances, against the backdrop of slavery, and rescue, and idolatry, and law, and conquest, and more idolatry, and judgment, and monarchy, and more idolatry, and more judgment, and exile. That listen, the smoldering wick of our hope was never quenched. The promised one had never come for 4,000 years. Point number three the fulfilled promise. And then he did come, by the way. Another son, like Noah, finally did appear. A son of man, that is his favorite name for himself. Jesus calls himself the son of man 80 times in the Gospels. A son of man. In that same lineage, from Adam through Seth through Noah Through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. And finally one out of that lineage. But more than a son of man. He was the son of God. And they called him Jesus. So why did he come? And why did he come in the way that he came? You see, he was the fulfillment of that original promise, of that original prophecy. But I mean, God is God. Could he not have accomplished his purposes through Noah, through Abraham, through Jacob, through Saul, David, Solomon, or someone else? Why did it have to be the sinless son of God creator, sustainer of the universe, why did he come into the world as this anointed one, this promised Messiah? You see, there were hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. But people tended to only focus on prophecies of deliverance, of victory, of a coming kingdom. There were other prophecies, prophecies that did not describe the glories of a wonderful counselor, of a mighty God, of an everlasting father, of a prince of peace. There were other prophecies that did not talk about the lamb lying down with the lion and the world being in perfect peace. There were other prophecies that comprise a a scarlet thread, so to speak, that weaves its way from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. It is a scarlet thread. It is a bloody trail that prophesies another Messiah, such as Isaiah talking about a man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief and is acquainted with shame. Other prophecies of a man whose beard is going to be ripped out of his face, how he is going to be spit upon, how he is going to have to pay the price of our salvation. And all of this is illustrated by the tens of thousands, the millions, no doubt, of animals that were sacrificed Sacrificed and the blood applied to altars and to doorposts, symbolizing the shed blood of a promised Messiah. On one day alone, When Solomon dedicated the temple that he had built and they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. The Bible records for us that so many sheep and so many oxen were sacrificed on one day that they could not even be numbered. What was all of that bloody stuff about? It was all... Pointing towards a Messiah. A very unexpected Messiah. Who was not going to come once. But was going to come twice. And the first time he came, he was going to come as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And then the second time, his second advent, he's going to come as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we live between those two advents, looking back to a bloody cross and an empty grave, but anticipating the brilliance of a thousand sunshines as Jesus burst forth to come back and take charge of the world. Yes, He was that wonderful counselor that was promised. He was the mighty God. He was the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And He is still those today. But understand, when He came the first time, He was missed by so many because He came clothed in a robe of frail humanity in order To fulfill His Father's purpose. And that's point number four. And we're making time now, aren't we? (laughs) The first prophecy of a Messiah, Genesis 3.15. The first person thought to be that Messiah, Noah of old. Then we have the fulfilled promise of the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. And now we have the Father's purpose. For you see, this is why Jesus came the way He came. In such an unexpected way. A Christmas that no one expected or was looking for. Did you know that the Bible gives to us at least 31 reasons why Jesus came the first time? Of why we need Jesus? Did you know that? One for every day of the month. 31. I could give you verses to go with all of these, but then we would be here later than you wanted to be here. 31 reasons why Christ came. He came to do the will of the Father. He came to save sinners. He came to bring light to a dark world. He came to be made like His people. He came to bear witness of the truth. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We talked about that last Sunday. Jesus came to give eternal life. He came to receive worship. He came to bring great joy. He came to demonstrate true humility. And oh, how we need that message today. Jesus came to preach the gospel, to bring judgment, to give his life as a ransom for many, to fulfill the law and the prophets, and to reveal God's love for sinners. He came to call sinners to repentance. He came to die. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve. He came to bring peace, but he also said, I come to bring a sword. Jesus came to bind up broken hearts, to give us the spirit of adoption, to make us partakers of his divine nature, to reign as king. He came to restore human nature to holiness. He came to be a faithful and merciful high priest. He came to be the second and greater Adam. He came to satisfy our deepest thirst. He came to be loved by God's children. He came to reveal God's glory. And I'm sure if you'll study your word, you may find even more reasons why he came. He was not Noah saved in the ark. He came. He was the ark of salvation himself. And it is into him we flee in order to rise and ride above the waves of God's wrath. I'm sure somewhere in those 31 different reasons the Bible gives to us for Christ's coming that I just read to you, somewhere there's one or two of those that every single one of you need today. Jesus is that. Let me summarize those 31 with just three statements of why Jesus came. He came, one, to reverse the curse. The curse of sin on Adam and Eve in the garden is a curse that has afflicted all humanity, no exceptions. We are all the descendants of Adam and Eve, and we have inherited a sin nature. But Jesus was finally the fulfillment of that promise of Genesis 3.15. He came, not as expected, but in a much better way, to reverse that curse in our lives. As long as we live here, yes, we will struggle with sin, but we never have to experience the penalty of sin because Jesus paid for it. We opened our service today with that Christmas carol, Joy to the World, by Isaac Watts. The second verse says this, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. All that is about the curse. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Is found wherever the curse has touched people and has touched this earth, which is every square inch. God has come in Jesus to make his blessings flow through the preaching and sharing of his gospel. The truth can set us free from the curse. So he came to reverse the curse. Number two, he came to be praised always. You see, dear friends, we were created by the word and the hands of a king. A king spoke this universe into existence. A king spoke everything we know in this world into existence. And a king knelt down and with his hands scraped together the dust of the earth and formed you and me. We were made by and for a king. We were made to be ruled by him. We were made to worship him and praise him with our lives and with our words every day that we live. It is the unrecognized and the unacknowledged longing of our hearts. Tim Keller says, there is a memory trace within the human race that every human being since Adam longs for and longs to be with the King who created us. And we tend to take that memory trace and we defile it and we look for so many other things, so many other people. To worship. Maybe we'll talk about that more next time. We were created to worship this King and to praise Him. Again, in the words of Isaac Watts Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. He has come to be praised always. Number three, he came to bring peace to those who need Release. Peace to those who need release. He came to release us from our burdens, to release us from our sicknesses, to release us from our heartaches and our worries. You got any of that stuff going on in your life? He came to bring release for you. But most of all, he came to bring release and deliverance from our sins. It is our greatest need. Your greatest need is not financial today, your greatest need is spiritual. Your greatest need today is not physical, it's not emotional, it's not social. It's not to have more followers on Instagram or whatever one of those things that you like to do. Your greatest need today is deliverance from your sin, the penalty of it in hell, as well as the dominion of it day by day. That's what we need, and that's what He came for. You shall call His name Jesus, the book of Luke says. Why? For He will save you. His people from their sins. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He, the Father, has anointed, chosen, and empowered me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind." To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's why he came. God's peace is not just an absence of conflict in our hearts or in the world. It is the presence of the Prince of Peace in our lives. So, hear these words. In conclusion... You hear that? In conclusion, it's only 1125. You're in good shape. Unlike Noah, and unlike the first Adam, and everyone else, this son is the only one who didn't fail. He's the only one who didn't blow it. He's the only one that can be your Savior. He's the only one that you can build your life on. He is the only solid rock in a world of sinking sand. Once again, these words from Pastor Parnell. He looked the tempter himself in the face and prevailed in faithfulness. He was the truly righteous, the wholly blameless. Here at last was the promised offspring of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the dayspring from on high, the desire of the nations who was sent by God to conquer the curse, not by escaping death, but by defeating it which he did not by fleeing the waters of judgment in an ark like Noah, but by becoming the ark himself and plunging into the darkness. He became the curse for us to disperse the clouds of night. He died in our place to put to flight death's shadow. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead to give us victory over the grave. Emmanuel has come. God with us has come. And you see, my friends, that is what the season of Advent is all about. We rehearse this ancient anticipation. The saints of old lived every day wondering, is it going to be today? Is it going to be tomorrow? This ancient anticipation. But we can do what they could not. We can rejoice that the Son has come. The pieces of the puzzle have all fit together perfectly. He came the first time to save us of our sins. We anticipate his coming the next time to save us from the very presence of sin and to take us home to heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of all of the prophecies of old, the ones understood and the ones not understood, and the ones still anticipated. Father, He is the desire of all of our hearts, the desire of all nations. I pray today in this Christmas Advent season that those who do not know Him would come to know Him, that those who need to know His peace will find His peace, and that we will find what only You have to offer by focusing our attention and our love to You. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Our hearts desires that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfedville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.